been a message series over the last couple of weeks about the miracle of mercy. We've been talking about the importance of mercy the Lord pours out to us through the cross of his son that enables us to be able to not only live in forgiveness, but also to forgive others as well. And we talked, today we'll be looking at becoming agents of that mercy. So the parable of the Lazarus and the rich man is a story we're well familiar with. Um, so let's take a look at it. Jesus, as it says here in Luke's gospel, addresses the parable to the Pharisees. In this parable, he never criticizes wealth or possessions. He criticizes how we respond. In this case, the rich man responds to them, particularly in light of Lazarus. So Jesus begins by telling the story. Put it in, in context, the Pharisees were religious leadership. They were called to shepherd God's people. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 34 in the Old Testament speaks about how the leadership of Israel was to seek out the lost, heal uh, the brokenhearted. Uh, it was to uh, find those that had gone astray and bring them back. Bind up the wounds of God's people. That was the role of the religious leadership. They weren't doing that. Matter of fact, the Pharisees excelled in position, status, wealth, power. They loved objectives. It gave them power and status. They felt if they had wealth, they would be blessed by God. That was the prevailing theology of that time. And uh, Jesus speaks into that to be able to call the Pharisees out from where they are into a new place. That's what he does with us every time we hear God's word. Call us out from where we are into a new place in him. So here's the rich man. And one of the ways you can tell he's very rich, besides the, Luke tells us that, is how he's dressed. In the ancient world, how you dressed and what you ate indicated what level of the scale you were on in terms of wealthiness. This guy was dressed to the hilt. He ate the best of foods. He was wealthy beyond wealth that we could imagine. And then there was the poor man who, in contrast, was in the worst possible situation. He was destitute. He was, the scripture says here, he had sores over his body, which meant some commentaries believe it might have been leprosy. Um, in any case, it was some kind of debilitating illness or disease. It says even the dogs came to eat the, the sores. Dogs in these days were not household pets, they were scavengers. And then it says that he was, he was poor, meaning that he was starving. He had no food. Yet he was nearby the rich man. Who knows, probably the rich man had to walk over him every day as he got out from him. And knew he was there, but he really didn't know he was there. It's like he saw him but didn't see him, you know, that kind of thing. So they both die. Now, I have to remember something in the context of this. As I mentioned, Jesus never criticizes the man for his wealth. It's how he relates to it, particularly in light of Lazarus. And why is that? Because the ministry of Jesus was a ministry of mercy to people. He healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He made the lame walk, the crippled leap for joy. On the, his opening, hom his first homily he ever gave in the synagogue, he stood up and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint me. He said to bring good news to the poor, healing to the broken heart, sight to the blind, to release those in prison, to announce a year of favor. Jesus' whole ministry was a ministry of mercy that culminated in the cross, which was love's most sacred moment as Jesus in pouring out his love for us at the cross and his life brought forgiveness and atoning of our sins. So mercy was the movement of God's heart to the human race, exemplified in Jesus. 
And this man, this rich man, was to be an agent of mercy. He was, had at his disposal tremendous wealth that brought him status and power and prestige, but he had the ability to be an agent of mercy to, the, to in this case, the poor man, and did not do that. So they both died, the great equalizer, right? And just as in life they were totally opposite, in death they were totally opposite. The rich man, I'm sure, got the state-of-the-art funeral. And the poor man probably was, I don't even sure he got a, he didn't get any kind of funeral. Not sure exactly what they did. A lot of times they took bodies and just threw them on ash heaps in a certain area of location. But in death now, their fortunes of life are reversed. Scripture says Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith. He's called, um, he's the founder of the Jewish faith. Uh, He's called the friend of God. So Lazarus goes there. And then the rich man is in torment, and he's aware of it. So here we see consciousness of life, consciousness of awareness of oneself beyond the, the life of the physical body. He has consciousness. He's aware of what's going on. He's not in some fantasy state. He's consciously aware, like we're consciously aware right now of what we're about here. And he says he's in torment. What is the torment? Well, the scripture doesn't detail it for us, but certainly he can see that lost opportunities. He never saw the, the poor man. He never saw him. He saw him physically, saw, did not see him with his heart. He was supposed to be an agent of mercy to him and was not. Lost opportunities, regrets, often say hell is one eternal regret. Notice, though, there's no repentance in the man's heart. What does he say? He says to Abraham, he says, send Lazarus here to dip his finger in some water and give me some relief. In other words, he still sees Lazarus as some form of servant to him, which shows that hell is not remedial, it's punitive. There's no repentance in hell. It's not like people say, okay, I'm sorry for my sins, I want to get out of here. It's like, The human heart does not repent in hell because it's closed off to the love and the mercy of God. And so he doesn't change, even in his state. And then he tries to do some bargaining here with Abraham. He says, send Lazarus to my father's house. Again, he's directing orders. Send Lazarus here, send Lazarus there. And he still doesn't get it, does he? And... This is the amazing thing that Jesus wants us to hear and to see, is that he has, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Was the mercy of God extended to this rich man all his life? Just remember, there's no gross sins in this rich man's life. Scripture doesn't say he was a, a terrible sinner. He committed gross sins, doesn't exist. He was a synagogue going weekly Jew. He was a religious man. He had good status in the community. He had wealth. He had power, prestige. He had notoriety. He had everybody liking him. He's your all-American guy that should be in heaven. He's in hell. 
He heard the scriptures, but did not listen. He heard that he was supposed to not only love God with all his heart, but love his neighbor as himself. And he didn't listen. He heard that when you're given so much, like this man was given, or given whatever you're given, you're to become an agent of mercy to the world around you. And he wasn't. The scriptures were proclaimed to him week in and week out. He probably grew up with them in his family, given the nature of the culture. And yet he did not hear. He did not listen. Peter said to Jesus, he said, Lord, you are the one to have the words of everlasting life. To whom shall we go? Like Peter was saying, you got it, Lord. Where else are we going to go? Nobody else has it. You got it. This guy sat and listened and did not listen with his heart. He was supposed to be an agent of mercy. Instead, he became self-absorbed in the pursuit of his own agenda. He was given much, and he used it for little. He was given great opportunity, and he squandered his opportunities. He never opened his heart to the mercy God was showing him that would transform his heart and transform his decisions, and impact his lifestyle choices. He never saw the poor man. So how do we become agents of mercy? Well, you know, sometimes we hear that and we say, gosh, there's so many things going on, so many needs so many challenges, so many people we come across that have, where do I begin? I'm not sure, I don't have anywhere near the resources that this guy had. <laughs> so what am I, where am I supposed to begin? Let me share with you kind of a humorous story, but it, it bears forth a, a point about how we look at situations which we feel sometimes overwhelmed about. Stories about a young police officer. Uh, he was taking a final exam at um, Hendon Police College in North London. He was kind of working through some problem-solving questions on the exam. This is one of the problem-solving things he had to face. So here's one of the questions. He says, you're on, the, on patrol in outer London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the sidewalk and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol and there is a man and woman who are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector who is presently in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realize that the man is wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, a man runs out of the nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying out for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and he can't swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. So the officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen, and then he wrote this. I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> okay. 
when we're facing challenges and needs that we see around us, we can feel overwhelmed like this guy. And we don't know where to begin. We can feel so overwhelmed that we don't do anything. We become neutralized and stagnant where we are. So where we begin? We say around here, you can't give away what you don't have. First place to begin is to encounter mercy yourself, the person of Christ. We're committed here. We believe that every person deserves an encounter with God. Every person deserves an experience of God that becomes a before and after for them in their Christian life. I was this way. I encountered the Lord Jesus in a fresh new way in my life, and now I'm, t- I'm different. I can't ever go back to the way it was. We believe every person deserves that. We're committed here, particularly at St. Patrick's, to facilitating that through many of the things that we do because we know how life-changing that is for any person's life. First thing is to encounter mercy. You can't give away mercy if you don't have mercy in your heart. Second thing we do is become aware of who's around you. Become aware of people that are in crisis and try to help them. Become aware of people with unmet needs and begin to try to meet them in the best you can. Become aware of people who are grieving for all kinds of different situations and loss in their life and try to bring comfort to them. Sometimes the comfort's some kind of just being present to them. Sometimes it's some kind of physical provision. Sometimes it's walking with them in some of the things that we offer here at St. Patrick's, coming with them. You say, well, I don't need that, but maybe this person does. And you kind of walk with them. The people in your life. The problem with the rich man is he was not aware. He ignored the most obvious thing in his life. He ignored his neighbor. Third thing, and last thing to do is look at the resources the Lord has placed in your life. The gifts, the abilities, the talents, time, which is always a precious resource, and say, Lord, I want to use all this to become an agent of mercy to the world I live in. Sometimes we think, I don't have this, I don't have that, I'm not as smart as this, I can't speak as well as that person, I'm not studied, I don't know this. And we come up with a list of excuses. Every one of us can come up with a list of excuses. It's not hard to do. But but we take a look at what the Lord has placed in your life and say, I want to use that to become an agent of mercy. It may not be much, but in your hands it becomes a lot. Remember the loaves and the fishes? They had to feed 5,000 plus, probably 20,000 people altogether. What was it? What did it come down to? Five loaves and two fishes. That's it. Little boy's lunch. Jesus took it, placed in his hands. It went the distance and beyond. Place in his hands what you have. Become an agent of mercy in the world that you live in. Be surprised what the Lord will do with the little, how he makes it great and multiplies it beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Become agents of mercy, and your life will be different, as well as the lives that you impact will be different. So let's pray. So, Father, we thank you 
for showing mercy to us and to this world through sending of your Son. Lifted high on a cross, he atoned for our sins with his sacrifice of love. While he walked the earth, he healed the sick, he opened the eyes of the blind, he gave hope to people, he forgave sins, he restored lives. He ate with tax collectors and sinners, breakers of the law, but he walked with them to heal, to set free, to bring them to a new place. So, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to become aware of the people around us so that we would become instruments of mercy as we hear the cry of their heart in a fresh understanding. Lord, move our hearts with mercy, become agents of mercy. Help us to use what you place in our life, time, resources, gifts, abilities, talents, to be able to heal a suffering and broken world around us. Most of all, Lord, bring us into an encounter with your mercy, so that you may wound us with your love, so that we will never be the same again. We pray this through Christ.